Hello, Campus Cronies. Welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Dr. Turner, full-time college administrator, part-time college professor, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a five. In September of 2021, Valencia College student Mia Marcano was scheduled to take a flight from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale to meet up with family. They were actually planning to go on to Jamaica for a family vacation, but when she failed to board the plane and missed her flight, Mia's family became incredibly worried and reported her missing. After eight grueling days, her family received the news they feared the most. Mia had been found, but she was no longer alive. This episode is titled Mia Marcano, Murdered in My Apartment. So without further ado, let's get started. was a strikingly beautiful young woman who had her whole life ahead of her. She was born on April 26, 2002, and raised by her parents, Marlon Marcano and Ema Scarbriel. Mia grew up in both the Virgin Islands and Florida, as her mother's family is originally from St. Thomas and St. Croix, and her father's family is from Trinidad, so she was exposed very early on to Caribbean culture. She started elementary school in Pembroke Pines, Florida, a city about 20 miles outside of Fort Lauderdale. But then Mia and her family relocated to the British Virgin Islands, where she attended First Impressions Primary School. Soon after, Mia moved with her family again, this time to St. Croix, part of the U.S. Virgin Islands, where she attended Alfredo Andrews Elementary. Mia then returned to Florida for both middle school and high school. Mia's family and friends said she was proud to be from the Virgin Islands, and she absolutely loved the island way of life and all of the Caribbean culture and traditions that came with it. One of Mia's most favorite traditions in particular was celebrating Caribbean carnival festivals. If you aren't familiar with these festivals, they're typically celebrated with parades and public street parties, with participants dressing in extravagant and colorful costumes that represent Caribbean culture. And... Extravagant, I mean that in a completely good way. Like they're just like these amazing articulate, maybe articulate is a better word, articulate costumes that just represent Caribbean culture. Anyway, carnivals are also celebrations of the emancipation of slaves in the Caribbean islands. Another part of Caribbean culture that Mia really enjoyed was the music, which is called soca or calypso. According to an article on carnivalland.net, Calypso is a popular type of Afro-Caribbean music. It often has a strong message, a moral tale, or it's some form of political or social commentary, and it's set to catchy beats. And then soca actually derives from two words, soul and calypso, so from those two words. And soca is music that was made to be danced to. It has an upbeat tempo that's infused with a little bit of soul. 
So Mia especially loved this music because her dad, Marlon, is a popular soca DJ based out of Miami known as DJ Eternal Vibes. In a tribute to Mia, her family described how extraordinary and amazing she was. It's pretty long, but I do want to read part of it to you because I really think the whole thing just totally encapsulates everything that Mia was. So here it is. Quote, from early on, Mia became a Jane of all trades after taking an interest in modeling, pageantry, cheerleading, dancing, horseback riding, and so much more. Mia excelled in everything she set her mind to do, going on to win numerous pageants, cheerleading events, and junior queen of the band for several years. No matter what it was, Mia put her all into everything that she did. She took joy in entertaining a crowd. Mia's facial expressions, body language, and magnetic energy pulled people in with ease. While Mia was a little shy on a regular day, when it was showtime, she transformed into a whole new person. All of the shyness and fear disappeared, and she opened up into the vibrant butterfly that she was. Mia could light up any room. Her love and kindness were infused in everything she did. She had a magical way of bringing joy every time she walked into the room. No one who met her could forget her smile. She had a lasting impression on everyone she met. Her laugh warmed a room and brought life into the most boring daily activities. It was infectious. She kept us all young. Whether it was new music or a TikTok trend, Mia made sure we were all up to date. She was the most caring person ever. No matter who you were or where you came from, once getting to know her, you had no choice but to love her. Mia was strong, independent, and beautiful. She was bright and that will never be changed. Mia and her memories will live on with us forever, forever in our hearts. Mia, continue to shine your light on us. Bring light to our lives in the times that we need you most. We love you forever. End quote. Mia's mother, Ima, or Emma, said she was the glue that held both her father's and her mother's families together. You see, her parents were divorced, and her mother lived in St. Croix while her dad resided in Fort Lauderdale. On an episode of Lifetime's Text Me When You Get Home, Ema said, quote, Mia is my princess, my daughter, my beautiful daughter. Mia is life, the beautiful light, bright light. Mia is the most perfect human being that I've ever met, end quote. So it was no wonder that Mia was lovingly nicknamed Princess by her entire family, because it is so plain to see that she quite literally shined like a princess in everything she did. In 2020, Mia graduated from Charles W. Flanagan High School in Pembroke Pines, Florida. She then went on to attend the University of Central Florida in Orlando for a few semesters before she ultimately transferred to Valencia College, another public college in Orlando, to study sports medicine. Ultimately, she had a dream of becoming an orthopedic surgeon. At the age of 19, Mia was living in Orlando in an off-campus apartment and attending classes as a college student, while also working part-time in her apartment complex's leasing office. Specifically, Mia lived and worked at the Arden Villas Apartments, located on University Boulevard, just about a mile and a half away from the UCF campus. According to her family, Mia was excited to live on her own and finally have her own space. Even though she loved her family and kept in contact with at least someone in her family, which she has a big family, so even though she kept in contact with at least someone in her family every single day, she was just excited to finally be on her own, you know. 
However, even though Mia lived with one roommate, and although her apartment was located in a very safe area of Orlando, and the apartment complex itself was gated, (laughs) her dad, being the overprotective father that any dad would be, insisted that he install extra security locks on her apartment's bedroom windows. He also made sure she was equipped with mace and a stun gun for her own protection. Her mother said, quote, As much as I wanted to keep her in a bubble, I could not. I had to let her live. I had to let her experience life, end quote. On September 24th, 2021, Mia was working a shift in the leasing office, but had plans to pack and head to Fort Lauderdale as soon as her shift ended at 5 p.m. Mia and her family were planning to meet in Fort Lauderdale so they could all go on to Jamaica for a family vacation. Now, Fort Lauderdale is about a three and a half hour drive from Orlando, so Mia could either drive or she could take a quick flight, which her dad said he would purchase for her. Early in the afternoon on September 24th, Mia texted her brother, Marlon Marcano Jr., who often went by his nickname Munchie. He didn't live in Orlando with Mia, but he had been in town for work for the past few days. At 1.33 p.m., Mia sent him a text asking if he would wait to leave Orlando until after she got off work at 5 p.m. That way, she wouldn't have to, you know, like drive herself or travel alone. But Munchie responded, explaining that he had already left Orlando and he was already on his way back to Fort Lauderdale. Like, by the time she got off work, he would already be in Fort Lauderdale. So Mia said no problem, and she decided that she would take the flight that her dad had offered to buy her. Shortly after 5 p.m., Mia can be seen on surveillance footage walking out of the leasing office, her bright red purse hoisted over her shoulder as she headed to her apartment so she could get ready and head to the airport. According to WTSP10 News, Mia's key fob activated the lock on her apartment door at 5.06 p.m. However, Mia never made it to the airport or out of her apartment alive. By the time Munchie made it back to Fort Lauderdale, like I said, it was around 5 p.m., you know, right around the time his sister was supposed to be getting off work. But when he got there, their grandmother asked him if he had seen or spoken to Mia because she couldn't get in touch with her. She said all of her calls just weren't going through. So Munchie simply sent Mia a text saying, hey, yo, call me. He explained that he was in the middle of running errands and he needed to go inside a store to purchase some items. He said he remembers thinking to himself that if she didn't respond to him by the time he got out of the store, that he would be much more alarmed. Well, he went in and out and there was still no response from Mia no calls or texts. So he called their mom to fill her in. Ema said, quote, my son, he calls. His exact words to me was, mom, I can't find Mia. And you know, I was like, what do you mean you can't find Mia? So I called her and it went straight to voicemail. Something was wrong. And that's when everything started, end quote. Naturally, Mia's whole family began reaching out to her, trying to call and text her, but not only were their calls going straight to voicemail, their texts weren't going through either, as in they were saying, like, not delivered. As a mother, Ema was overcome with fear and panic and worry, especially because she was in St. Croix, not in Florida, and she could literally do nothing in person to help her daughter. All she could do was use her phone to call as many people and places as she possibly could. So naturally, the first call Ema made was to Mia's place of employment, the Arden Villas leasing office, where she was working, to see what time Mia had left. But it was closed and nobody answered. Ema then called Uber and Lyft to see if Mia had ordered a ride or left her phone behind in a ride. 
but they wouldn't give her any information since she wasn't law enforcement. Meanwhile, Mia's whole family began to call around, desperately searching for their princess. They called Mia's friends and her roommate, but nobody had seen or heard from her, and Mia's roommate informed them that she, the roommate, hadn't even been at home that day. For hours, Mia's family worried about what could have possibly happened to her and why she wasn't responding to them. But they were still holding on to that little bit of hope that maybe, just maybe, she boarded her flight to Fort Lauderdale and all of this was just a misunderstanding, like a big misunderstanding. Maybe her phone died or it was still in airplane mode or something, you know, some explanation other than the fearful, unthinkable alternative. But when the plane landed and Mia wasn't on it, they knew something was very wrong. The next call Emma made was to the Orange County Sheriff's Office in Orlando. She informed them that nobody in the family could reach her daughter, and she asked them to do a wellness check at Mia's apartment. However, according to Emma, since it was simply a wellness check, police couldn't physically enter the apartment unless somebody was there to let them in. Thankfully, while they were there, Mia's roommate came home and allowed them to enter. Once inside, though, everything appeared pretty normal at first glance but Mia's bedroom door was closed and locked. Police then proceeded to knock on Mia's bedroom door, but nobody answered. According to an episode of Text Me When You Get Home, police didn't attempt to gain entry for unknown reasons, like entry into her bedroom. Instead, they went outside of the apartment and peered inside Mia's bedroom through the window. And y'all, what they found was more than alarming to say the least. Her window was wide open, which was super odd because remember those locks Mia's dad had initially installed? Well, that made it nearly impossible to open the window. Here's the thing though. The police didn't notice anything that seemed out of place or suspicious to them, at least not from their view of her bedroom through the open window. And they didn't know that the extra security locks were even there. But Mia's family, since they did know the locks were there, they didn't agree that nothing seemed out of the ordinary or nothing seemed odd and they weren't taking any chances. You see, Mia's dad, Marlon, her brother, Munchie, and her cousin, Damani Scarbriel, had jumped in the car and made the three and a half hour trip back to Orlando throughout the night. They arrived at Mia's apartment complex at roughly 3.52 a.m. and they forced their way into Mia's room. Ema said, quote, they gained access to her room and that's where things got very, very dark, end quote. First of all, Mia's dad, brother, and cousin discovered that Mia's room was in disarray, like it had been ransacked or a struggle had occurred and they found a pair of box cutters on the floor. There was also a large dried blood stain on her pillow, a shelf had been placed under the door handle to keep the door locked and closed, and a stuffed bear that Mia took everywhere with her had been haphazardly tossed on the ground. Mia also regularly wore jewelry, including a gold neck chain adorning her name and Crucian hook bracelets from the Virgin Islands, all of which were found on the floor of her apartment as well. The necklace had been torn off of her neck, like you could tell that the chains had been broken, and the bracelets were also broken in two. Ema said, quote, there's no way, no how you could break these bracelets without a struggle, end quote. And trust me, y'all, I have one of those bracelets. I'm currently wearing it right now as we speak because I've been to St. Croix. And 
they are made with incredibly durable metal. So I completely understand what Ema was saying here. After discovering the disturbing scene in Mia's room, her dad, brother, and cousin called police to have them come back to the apartment and take a look at what they had found. Because at this point, they firmly believed Mia had been the victim of a crime. So naturally, the first question police needed to know is if she had a boyfriend, if she was seeing anyone, or if there was anyone who might want to hurt her. And the obvious answer was no, because everyone loved Mia. Nobody, and I mean nobody they could think of, had any issues with her at all. She was just simply that sweet and kind. And at the time, Mia did not have a boyfriend. But Mia's roommate remembered something peculiar about a maintenance man who worked at the apartment complex with Mia. She informed Mia's family that 27-year-old Armando Caballero, a maintenance worker at Arden Villas, was crushing hard on Mia and he had taken quite an interest in her. He had been sending her a lot of messages and almost even seemed obsessed with Mia. However, the roommate informed the family that Mia did not reciprocate the feelings and had basically rebuffed his advances and attempts to talk to her. Although as kind as she was, I can only imagine how much he wasn't taking no for an answer. As the news of Mia's disappearance spread, Mia's friends began showing up to her apartment and sharing their suspicions about Caballero as well. Soon, the family and police discovered that Caballero had been texting Mia often, even offering her money and expressing that he wanted to give her his life savings. According to WTSP10 News, Caballero even sent Mia $600 on Cash App, something she politely but repeatedly refused and tried to refund to him. But Caballero insisted and continued sending her the money. And y'all, no sooner than Mia's family discovered this weird obsession that Caballero had with Mia, he actually showed up to the apartments. Like literally, the night of her disappearance, in the wee hours of the morning around 4 a.m., he showed up. But why on earth would the maintenance man be there if he's off his shift? Um, the last time I checked, no maintenance worker was ever showing up at 4 a.m. to work in or on an apartment that I've ever lived in. Anyway, Caballero stepped out of his car to speak with police, and he told them he was there because he was just informed by a co-worker that Mia was missing. He said he was concerned, so he wanted to come and offer his help. According to the episode of Text Me When You Get Home, Mia's family immediately began recording Caballero and his interactions with police on a cell phone. Because, hello, dude was suspicious. Apparently, Caballero's story was that he got a call from a mutual friend named Tati informing him that something happened to Mia. But Mia's family can be heard on the cell phone video confronting him. They were saying, like, look, nobody knows Tati. You keep saying this, but we've never heard of any friend of Mia's named Tati. Even her roommate and close friends do not know who this Tati person is. So from the jump, Mia's family was skeptical of Caballero. They even straight up told him, there is evidence that you were obsessed with her, sending her constant messages and trying to give her your life savings. But Caballero denied giving her any money, and he also said something that sent up a huge red flag. He said, quote, it's not only from my side, so don't try to make this out like I'm a stalker, end quote. Um, no one said you were, dude. Anyway, that morning while he was there, the authorities asked Caballero when the last time was that he saw Mia, and he informed them that it was around 3 p.m. the day before on September 24th. 
you know, the day she was supposed to fly to Fort Lauderdale. So naturally, Mia's family was super suspicious of Caballero, and they wanted him taken in by police in question. However, with no probable cause to arrest or detain him at the time, authorities just had to let him go. Mia's mother, Ima, described Caballero's actions that morning as, quote, very nonchalant. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where she is. Couldn't care less. If you ask me, they were actually treating him like he was a victim. You know, like trying to shield him from the questions that her dad was asking. Just sad, you know? End quote. As the sun rose early the next day, on September 25th, more of Mia's family arrived in Orlando to help look for her. And while searching, Mia's grandmother and cousins once again saw Caballero at the apartment complex. So as any family would do who were desperately searching for answers, they followed him, like followed him in his car. And once again, they began recording him on a cell phone. This time though, what they saw and witnessed sent chills down their spines. As Caballero was unloading items out of his car, Mia's family witnessed that those items included gloves of some sort, as well as Mia's pink blanket. They knew the blanket was Mia's because it was a specific blanket given to her by her grandmother. On the cell phone video, you can literally hear her grandmother saying, quote, Oh my God, that is my blanket. Like you can so desperately hear the anguish in her voice. Like you can see the moment that she realizes he has her blanket. We know that because I gave that to her. Anyway, Ima explained, quote, the one video that was her blanket, her grandmother gave her a pink blanket. And when they followed him, here he is taking out that same pink blanket that was in Mia's room. He had it in his hand, end quote. After witnessing this, Mia's family quickly called 911 to report exactly what they saw. However, by the time investigators arrived to check it out, the pink blanket was nowhere to be found. Somehow, Caballero had disposed of it. I don't know how. I honestly do not know how. But somehow, after looking around Caballero's apartment, police did not discover any evidence tying him to Mia's disappearance. Regardless... Mia was still missing, which means authorities and her family needed to organize a search, which is exactly what they did. Mia's cousin, Damani Scarbriel, explained how their entire family was trying to help police as much as they possibly could. He said, quote, you know, we're up there searching miles and miles of long grass areas all around trying to find her, just trying to do our best to help bring her home safe, end quote. Mia's family also gave interviews to the media as often as possible because they wanted to get the word out that their baby, their princess, was missing. And at that point, they were clinging on to hope and praying that they would find her alive. As Mia's family and authorities were desperately searching, passing out flyers, going door to door, a bombshell dropped in the case three days after her disappearance. On September 27, 2021, Armando Caballero was found deceased in the maintenance garage of a building where he used to work. He had hung himself and died by suicide. Mia's mother, Ima, said, quote, It's a sense of defeat. He killed himself and he's the one that has all the answers to where my child is. End quote. Needless to say, if Armando Caballero wasn't a suspect before this, then he definitely was now. I mean, why else would he make the decision to end his own life if he was innocent? 
After this, authorities continued their search for Mia, but they focused on Caballero as the prime suspect, the one and only prime suspect. So they looked to his phone records for answers. According to his cell phone records, he was at the Arden Villas apartment complex at the time of Mia's disappearance. Then shortly after Mia returned home, after she got off work at the leasing office, his cell phone records show that he left the apartments and his phone began pinging off various towers in and around Orlando. So essentially, wherever his cell phone went off, that's where police searched. Eight days after Mia went missing, police searched one of the areas where Caballero's phone had pinged. It was near an old dilapidated apartment complex in Seminole County, a place named Timber Scan Apartments, where he had once lived previously. There, in a wooded area behind the apartments, police discovered the lifeless body of Mia Marcano on October 2, 2021. According to ABC News, Mia's body was found bound at her hands and feet with black duct tape, similar to what is used for maintenance work, and her mouth was covered with that same black duct tape as well. She was wearing jeans, a bra, and a robe, and her bright red purse was found a few feet away, which contained the t-shirt she had been wearing at work that day. Perhaps the only silver lining was that there was no indication of sexual assault of any kind. However, because of the heat and humidity, Mia's body was so badly decomposed already that the medical examiner could not determine the cause of death, although they did determine the manner of death was homicide. More specifically, the medical examiner said, quote, Due to advanced decomposition, the cause of death is the result of homicide by undetermined means. End quote. Obviously, the news shocked and devastated Mia's family. Her brother, Munchie Mercado, said he dropped to his knees when he first heard, and her cousin, Damani, said he had so many different emotions running through him. Hate, anger, sadness. They just couldn't believe that Mia was there one day and gone the next. Mia's mom, her voice trembling and tears rolling down her face, said, quote, At 19, Mia had her whole life ahead of her. I would never get to see her become an orthopedic surgeon, never get to see her be a wife, a mom. You know, you have your children. You set them up. You put them in the world. You try your best to protect them. And then for somebody to feel that they have the right to take that from you, her voice trailed off as she shook her head. So what exactly happened to Mia on September 24th, 2021? WTSP 10 News reported that, according to an official police report, Investigators believe Caballero illegally entered Mia's apartment at 4.34 p.m. with a master key fob he would often use as a maintenance worker. He knew she was scheduled to get off work in the leasing office at 5 p.m., so he waited for her inside her apartment until she arrived. At 5.06 p.m., Mia's key fob activated her apartment door. Police believe Caballero attacked Mia the moment she walked inside and a struggle ensued, both in the living room and Mia's bedroom, because in the living room, they also found a pillow with blood stains. By 5.50 p.m., detectives think he had already killed her, and he then transported her body to the trunk of his car through her bedroom window, which explains why the window was wide open when they initially went to her apartment for the wellness check. A couple of minutes later, at 5.52 p.m., Caballero was seen leaving the Arden Villas apartments in his car. 
According to the police report, investigators believe he left and went to his own apartment in a different complex where he stayed for less than 30 minutes before returning to Arden Villas again at around 7 p.m. And for some reason, I guess to attempt to cover his tracks maybe, he called in a fake maintenance order from a Google number for an unrelated apartment. Investigators think he did this to show a reason for his return, but that's the thing. Like, I honestly have no idea why he went back to the apartments in the first place. Like, did he forget something? Did he like try to cover his tracks? I just don't really know. Anyway, about 30 minutes later at 7.38 PM, Caballero left Arden Villas again. Through tag records, phone records, and Caballero's own GPS data in his car, Police determined he arrived at the Timber Scan Apartments at around 8.30 p.m. There, he abandoned Mia's body and left it in a heavily wooded area that leads to a lake behind the complex. Ultimately, Orange County investigators determined that Caballero acted alone in the kidnapping and murder of Mia Marcano. And since he died by suicide, the case was officially closed. One of the last times Mia was seen alive was on surveillance footage from the Arden Villas apartments, specifically on September 24th, 2021, when she was leaving the office and walking back to her apartment. Mia's mother, Ima, said she remembered watching the footage for the first time after Mia's body was discovered. She explained, quote, When I saw the clips on the news of the tape of her walking into her apartment, I screamed so loud that day, telling her not to go, even though I already knew what the outcome was. It mentally, mentally destroys you, end quote. But Mia's memory will live on forever in the hearts of her family, friends, and loved ones. Her celebration of life was held on October 14th, 2021 in Cooper City, Florida at the Cooper City Church of God. And y'all, it was one of the most beautiful, remarkable celebrations I have ever seen. Her casket was painted a bright royal blue, Mia's favorite color, and many people in attendance wore shades of blue in her honor as well. Her casket also was topped with a gorgeous gold crown adorned with colorful gemstones fitting for the princess that she was to her family. And because she loved calypso and soca music, some of her favorite artists performed during the celebration, including Melanie Amaro and Jamal Doyle, who was also known as Skinny Fabulous. During the ceremony, many family members spoke and recalled how truly incredible Mia was. Her uncle, Marvin Marcano, said in a tribute, quote, Mia had that special trait to make a connection and adapt to all her cousins. She was just a lovable person who always smiled and put your feelings first. My niece did not deserve this, nor does any woman for that matter. Rise in power, fly high, end quote. Perhaps the thing that Mia's family takes the most solace in is knowing that what happened to Mia was not in vain. You see, Mia's family wants to do everything they possibly can to keep the same thing from happening to another innocent person, and they are doing that through the Mia Marcano Foundation. The primary objectives of the foundation include creating a safe space for families that allow them to get the assistance required to help them quickly find their loved ones, as well as providing 24-7 to support families experiencing a missing loved one and educating the broader community about safeguards they can take to ensure their safety. One of the biggest feats of the Mia Marcano Foundation was the passing of legislation in both Florida and Virginia, which is more commonly known as Mia's Law. According to an NBC affiliate in Orlando, WESH2 News, 
The law was passed in 2022, and it ensured three key things. One, apartment complexes must now do mandatory nationwide employee background checks. Two, apartments are required to track the issuance and recovery of security and apartment keys through key logs. And three, they must give 24 hours notice before entering any units, and they may only enter during reasonable hours between 7.30 a.m. and 8 p.m. And through the help of the Marcano family attorney, Daryl K. Washington, Mia's family filed a lawsuit in 2021 against the company that owns Arden Villas, the Priest Company. Just this month in August of 2023, WSH2 News reported that all sides reached an agreement and have settled the suit. Washington, the attorney, said, quote, Mia's tragic death touched the entire world. Mia was an amazing person who will forever be engraved in the hearts of her family, friends, and strangers alike. When the family first reached out to my firm, the goal was to get answers. Through the efforts of Mia's parents, new law requiring apartment complexes to conduct background checks and give reasonable notice to tenants before entering their apartments passed in Florida and Virginia. I will never forget Mia and her beautiful smile that continues to brighten our days, end quote. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 56. Be sure to check out my social media where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Chronicles on both Facebook and Instagram, or you can follow my personal account on Instagram at Nicole Kaylin. That's K-A-L-Y-N-N. Also, y'all, before I officially close out, I have over 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts, finally, because of y'all, because of y'all's help, because you went on there, you did it, I asked for it, and y'all got it done. So thank you for that. I think it's like 104, but y'all, it's been at 104 for like the past two months. (laughs) So let's get to 500 or 1,000 or 10,000. Like I've said before, the reviews really help more than you know, because they let others like you know that this podcast is out there. So share the podcast with someone you know who would love to be a campus crony. Okay, well, that is all for today. So bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle. Hello, Campus Cronies. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Let me start over so they could all go on to Jamaica for a family vacation for a little. (laughs) But he had been in town for a few days. He didn't live in Orlando with Mia, but he had been in town for work. So at one. Okay, I need to quit saying so. I'm not doing good right now. Through tag records, phone records and Caballero's and Caballero's own vehicle, own GPS, and Caballero's own GPS data in his car. Okay. Did we not pause that? Oh, darn. That was all. Oopsie. Okay.